Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. From Lives in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help your challenging child and implement the collaborative problem solving approach at home. If you have a question or comment, call 347-994-2981. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about your challenging child and what we can do to help you make things better. Hello there, and uh, welcome to the program. Delighted to have you with me today for another edition of Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. We get together once a week to... um, talk about uh, kids with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges and how we can understand them better and how we can help them better and how we can help their parents and teachers and other caregivers do all of that. Um, delighted that you've uh, joined in today. Um, as always, these are your 45 minutes. Um, you need support? These are your 45 minutes. Got a question? Same deal. Um Want to respond to something you've heard? Uh, Want to weigh in? Want to tell your story? These are your 45 minutes. That's why we do this every week. And that's why there's Lives in the Balance. Uh, It's there to be supportive, helpful, and to provide you with all the resources that you might need to help you implement the collaborative problem-solving approach. So if you are working uh, with a child at home who's not responding very well to Plan B or having trouble doing any aspect of Plan B or... Uh, running into trouble getting the folks at school to use collaborative problem solving or having difficulty getting your co-parent or the grandparents or the hockey coaches to buy in, uh, do call in. Um, The phone lines are open. Um, Let me give you that phone number again, 347-994-2981. If you're not the calling in type, feel free to send me a question electronically through the contact form on the Lives in the Balance website. That's www.livesinthebalance.org. i got to tell you what's been going on on that Lives in the Balance uh, website. If, if you haven't signed the Bill of Rights yet, um, got to get on the Lives in the Balance website and do that. Um, hundreds of people have already signed the Bill of Rights, and it's only been an option for a week and a half or two weeks. I'm really ecstatic with the response. Of course, we're trying to collect 5,000 signatures. So um, if that's something that interests you, go to the uh, Bill of Rights section of the Lives in the Balance website. Sign it. Want to send somebody materials on collaborative problem solving? Uh, it's going to set you back 30 bucks in North America, but if 
you want to, uh, and know someone who needs to know more about collaborative problem solving and needs to understand challenging kids better, uh, send them a care package. It's anonymous and um, filled with resources, including a copy of The Explosive Child, a copy of Lost at School, all of the paperwork related to the model, some articles, Plan B cheat sheet. Man, oh, man. And um, Lives in the Balance will send that to that person, and um, you'll know that you put collaborative problem-solving in the hands of someone who needs it and someone who could be treating and understanding challenging kids in a more humane, compassionate fashion. Um, Lots of other stuff that you could be doing on the Lives in the Balance website to advocate on behalf of and help kids with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges. Um, And more to come. If you haven't signed up for the Lives in the Balance uh, call to action, we call it Action Plan B, Uh, you'll want to do that too. It's in the Take Action section of the website. And if you don't want to do any of that stuff and just want to um, explore the resources, watch the streaming video, um, listen to uh, programs in the listening library that are recorded uh, versions of this program, that's what Lives in the Balance is there for. And here's the cool part. It's not going to cost you a nickel. That's why I founded Lives in the Balance, so that people could access resources and advocate on behalf of kids with social, emotional, and behavioral challenges and not have them cost, not have them cost them a nickel. Um, okay, let's see what we're doing here. I want to see if we have any callers. We don't have any callers yet, so I'm going to start with some of the email that I've received over the past week, and um, we'll see if anybody happens to call in. Here's an email. Uh, our son has always been empathic, and we have always, uh, excuse me, we, we have a son, and we've always been empathic and followed Plan B. However, our son continues to be defiant, disrespectful, and mean. He will call names, be outright rude, and mean-spirited. Sometimes it's hard to know whether he has a mood disorder or is an explosive child. I don't want to put him on meds. He's a model student in school and is very respectful towards teachers and staff. He is overly polite in school, and we always hear that we have a polite and sweet child. Um, Both parents are very empathic with Ben. Tell us what to do. Happy to. Well, I don't understand enough about the situation to uh, tell you what to do, but I can tell you what collaborative problem-solving would bring to the table. Um, I'm glad that you've been empathic. Uh, Nothing, um, no downside to empathy that I can tell. And um, saying that you've followed Plan B, um, I don't have a perfect sense of that, and and, and here's why. You're telling me what your son continues to do on the spectrum of looking bad, defiant, disrespectful, and mean – uh, those tend to be a little bit vague for me, but I think I have the general gist of things. But all those things tell me is what behaviors your son exhibits when the demands being placed upon him um, outstrip the skills that he has to respond adaptively to those demands. Well, here's some more spectrum of looking bad information. He will call names, be outright rude, and mean-spirited. All right, so I know what he looks like, but I don't have the important information yet. No one does. 
when, when all we're doing is talking about what the kid looks like when he's looking bad, what the kid looks like when the clash of the two forces occurs, lagging skills, force number one, demands for those skills, force number two, what he looks like only tells us what his diagnosis would be, but that doesn't tell us anything about why he's being defiant, disrespectful, mean, calling names, being outright rude, and mean-spirited. I still have no idea what skills your son is lacking or the conditions in which those lagging skills are clashing with demands for those skills. And those, of course, in collaborative problem solving are called unsolved problems. I don't know. And without that information... It's hard to take you any further because that's the information that sets in motion the collaborative resolution of problems. I'm going to continue with the email here. Sometimes it's hard to know whether he has a mood disorder or is an explosive child. I must say, I don't think that I would put an enormous amount of time into trying to distinguish between those two things. Enough for me to know that where he is on the spectrum of looking bad, defiant, disrespectful, mean, Calling names, being outright rude, and mean spirited. I, I don't know if he's if uh, if his mood, irritable, cranky, grouchy, grumpy. If that's um, a factor setting in motion challenging episodes, I'd want to know about that. But I wouldn't put a great deal of effort into trying to figure out definitively whether this is a mood disorder or whether he's an explosive child. I know I wrote the book, The Explosive Child, but. I'm not sure what an explosive child looks like. Actually, I don't even like the word explosive. I'm sorry the book was called that. Um, that wasn't the name of the book that I originally proposed. Some of you heard me speak occasionally. I talk about this. Because um, truth is, explosive leads out implosive children. So explosive only covers basically sort of half of the spectrum of looking bad. It covers the ones who are defiant and screaming and calling you names and swearing and hitting and kicking. doesn't really cover the ones who are withdrawn when the demands of the environment outstrip the skills that they have to respond adaptively or the ones who are anxious, nervous, worried, scared, obsessive. doesn't cover those. So I don't like explosive for that reason, but probably the main reason I don't like explosive is because it makes it sound like the behaviors the kid is exhibiting are occurring surprisingly, unpredictably. And that's never true. But he only becomes a predictable kid if we know what his lagging skills are and if we know what his unsolved problems are, those very specific conditions in which he is defiant, disrespectful, mean, calling names, being outright rude, and mean-spirited. Otherwise, we really don't know anything and that's why I wouldn't put a great deal of effort into deciding whether what he's doing when he's looking bad categorize, qualifies him as having a mood disorder or explosive. Uh, next, I'm going to continue with the email here. I don't want to put him on meds, and that's always uh, a good thing to not be terribly interested in having your child be medicated. That having been said, there are some things medicine does well. And many things medicine does not do well at all. So I have many parents who will sometimes say to me, I don't really want to put my kid on meds. I actually don't know many parents except 
those who've been living in horrible circumstances with a child whose behaviors on the spectrum of looking bad have never gotten better, I sometimes have those parents walk in my office and say, medicine, please. I even have kids walking in saying, Dr. Green, is there a medicine that could help me not behave this way anymore? So I don't blame you for not wanting to put him on meds. There are some things that medicine does well. Medicine treats hyperactivity well in many kids. It treats poor impulse control well in many kids. It treats inattention well in many kids. It enhances mood for many kids. It can reduce obsessiveness in some kids. And in some kids, it can lengthen their fuse or give them what we might call an emotional muffler. Those are, generally speaking, the kid things that I refer kids for medicine for. Uh, if I don't think that Plan B and Plan C, a lot more B and a lot more C and a lot less A, is going to help him look better without meds. Let me continue with the email. This email, I've only read four sentences so far, and I'm commenting heavily already. He's a model student in school and is very respectful towards teachers and staff. In fact, he's overly polite in school, and we always hear that we have a polite and sweet child. Thank goodness, because truth is, um, I don't think you'd want him to be doing poorly. No, not, you're not saying this. I'm not being sarcastic here. But better for him to be doing well in one environment than for him to be doing poorly across the board. Of course, the fact that he looks better at school than at home often causes people to come to the rapid but completely incorrect conclusion that that information proves that the folks at school know what they're doing and the folks at home do not. The folks at school are disciplining the kid the way he needs to be disciplined and the folks at home are passive, permissive, inconsistent, non-contingent disciplinarians and their child is manipulative, attention-seeking, coercive, unmotivated, and a limit tester. That's what that scenario often causes people to conclude, and of course that is a completely erroneous conclusion. But I'm, I'm happy that he seems at least to be handling the demands at school adaptively. Of course, there are many kids who do have the skill of keeping themselves very tightly wrapped for the school day and then completely come unraveled when they get home from school, it's not an unusual scenario, uh, doesn't mean that they have skills and they're exhibiting them at school and not at home. It means they're still lacking skills. It's just that they are capable of keeping themselves very tightly wrapped during the school day, but aren't able to keep themselves tightly wrapped during every waking moment. So if the question is, what would I do next? Well, you've already heard a lot of my thinking here. Um, I would focus a little less, even though it's not easy to, because this does tend to be the main focal point for a lot of people, but I would focus less on what your son is doing when he's looking bad, because I don't think that that's especially informative. I would focus less on how to categorize him, mood disorder, explosive child, oppositional defiant disorder. I wouldn't worry so much about that. I wouldn't have the slightest clue about whether there's anything coming into play that would require medication. 
I know what I'd do. I would I would download from the Lives in the Balance website in the paperwork section a copy of the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. Those of you who listened to this program knew I was going to say that, didn't you? That's all right. That means um, you don't need to hear that from me already uh, anymore. You already know. Cool. I would download a copy of the Assessment of Lagging Skills and Unsolved Problems from the Lives in the Balance website. I would go down the list of lagging skills and decide which ones seem to explain your son or apply to your son. I would then... And then what you've done now is you've begun viewing your son's difficulties through the prism of lagging skills. I would then turn my attention to the unsolved problems section, and I would identify the very specific conditions in which your son is looking bad, conditions in which the clash of the two forces is occurring, and I would call those unsolved problems. And then... Because we've identified those unsolved problems in advance, we can do Plan B proactively, which is far more effective because when you're doing Plan B emergently, there's added heat, which is not conducive to collaborative problem solving, and there's time pressures, which is not conducive to the collaborative resolution of problems. The fact that we've filled out the Plan B, excuse me, that we've filled out the ALSIP that we know what the unsolved problems are, sets the stage for us to intervene proactively because any unsolved problem we have entered into the unsolved problems section is by definition predictable. So now let me turn my attention to the last part of your email. It says we've followed Plan B, but I can't tell if you've been doing Plan B emergently or proactively because I can't tell if you have already made a list of unsolved problems, decided which ones are your priorities, and the ones that are your priorities are the ones that you've been working on proactively with Plan B, and the ones that you are deciding are not your high priorities right now, that's Plan C. You're not working on them at all right now. So many things I would need to know to answer the question fully, but I hope the information I've provided already was helpful and Thank you for your email. Next email. Hi, Dr. Green. Just read your book, and I'm so grateful for it. Good. I have no doubt that this is the right approach for my adopted son. I could talk to you for hours. Well, you're welcome to call into the program and talk to me for a few minutes. But back to the email. If you could answer the following question, I'd be very happy. How does one go about teaching skills such as not speaking or acting impulsively, or how to recognize when you are dysregulated, frustrated, feeling upset or mad and letting people know, or taking steps to feel better, having some food, reading, cuddling with an animal. My son says just about everything that comes into his head, whether it's appropriate, constructive, kind, relevant, ridiculous or not, he often acts on impulses the same way. And whenever he's feeling badly for any reason, big or small, those bad feelings come out in his tone and word choice, often as personal verbal attacks. I don't believe he recognizes when he's feeling bad or frustrated, and I don't think he is intending his tone or words. If I recognize that he's out of sorts, I can often change that by giving him a healthy snack or having him take some time, but I often don't recognize that until the damage has been done. I would very much like to be able to teach him how to recognize 
when he is feeling low or off and to teach him to either ask for help or help himself. Thank you for your email. Um, let me respond to the email. Actually, I've just lost it for a second. Here it is. Um, let's take it from the top. Um, I'm glad that you've read the book. I hope you find it to be helpful, and I'm glad you feel that it resonated with you and that you feel that this would be the right approach. Now some fine-tuning. Um, you're going to go about teaching skills indirectly, not directly. The way you're going to teach your son lagging, the way you're going to teach your son's skills directly, indirectly, is by collaboratively solving the problems that are setting the stage for his challenging episodes. So I'm going to ask you to be more specific because speaking and acting impulsively is a lagging skill, not an unsolved problem. Recognizing when you are dysregulated, frustrated, feeling upset or mad, that's occurring in the heat of the moment. Letting people take steps to help you feel better is the adult believing that some food or reading or cuddling with an animal is going to solve the highly specific unsolved problems that are byproducts of speaking and acting impulsively that are setting the stage for you to be dysregulated, frustrated, feeling upset or mad. I don't know if those solutions are going to solve the problems that are setting your son's challenging behaviors in motion. I, truth is, I sometimes do this. I think to myself, given that solution, what concerns, what unsolved problems would that solution address? I mean, usually we're going in forward direction. We're thinking, here's the unsolved problem. Let's think of some solutions. But here are some solutions that we've been given, food, reading and cuddling with an animal, and I'm thinking backwards now and thinking, what unsolved problems would those address? And I think that food would address being hungry. And I think that reading would address wanting to read. And I think that cuddling with an animal would address wanting to cuddle with an animal. But I have this feeling that these things these recommendations for food, reading, and cuddling with an animal are occurring in the heat of the moment. And the goal of these interventions is to help a child calm down when he's already upset. Keyword, already. You know, I don't have any problem with things that will be comforting once a child is already upset, but that's not really your focal point. Your focal point is identifying in very specific terms the unsolved problems that are setting in motion your son looking dysregulated, frustrated, feeling upset or mad. And those behaviors that are causing you to offer food or reading or cuddling, but food and reading and cuddling are not going to solve the problems. I'd recommend you make a list, and I'd keep a log for a week. This is what I often recommend that people do. Keep a log for a week. And um, 
Figure out what these specific unsolved problems are. Keep a log of the times when your son balked or disagreed or there was a conflict. Keep track of the times when your son is speaking or acting impulsively, becoming dysregulated and frustrated and feeling upset or mad. Keep track of the conditions, the unsolved problems that are setting those behaviors in motion. Let's not rely on what we're going to do emergently to calm him down. Once again, there's a place for that, but it's not your primary focal point. Your primary focal point is proactively, after you've made your list of unsolved problems and decided which ones are your priorities and decided which ones you're working on and which ones you're not, starting to solve those problems so that your son doesn't become dysregulated, frustrated, upset, or mad in response to them, and you're not in the precarious position of trying to offer something, food, reading, or cuddling, once he's already upset. Once again, I don't have a problem with trying to calm a kid down with food, reading, or cuddling. Some people would have a trouble, trouble by offering food when a kid is upset, but that's besides the point. The point is, intervention is 99.9% proactive. And as I said with response to the first emailer, we can be proactive because we're identifying the unsolved problems that are setting challenging episodes in motion ahead of time. And we're deciding what, pro what priorities are ahead of time. And we're deciding what we're doing proactive plan B on ahead of time. And we've decided what we're doing with plan C ahead of time. So our need for offering food, reading, or cuddling is greatly reduced because we're busy solving problems, not trying to calm him down once he's upset. Now, I can't tell from our emailer if your son is saying just about anything that comes into his head when he's upset or full-time. I can't quite get a bead, but because then the next sentence is, whenever he's feeling badly for any reason, big or small, those bad feelings come out in his tone and word choice and often as personal verbal attacks. Now, that's more of the looking bad part, but I don't know what he's feeling badly about. Those are unsolved problems. I don't believe he recognizes when he's feeling bad or frustrated, and I don't think he's intending his tone or words. That's all okay, but my focal point is not on helping him recognize when he's feeling bad or frustrated because he's already feeling bad and frustrated. I'm now no longer intervening proactively. The premium is on, is on helping him identify the unsolved problems that are causing him to feel bad or frustrated before he feels bad or frustrated. So our premium is not on having him recognize that he's feeling bad or frustrated, because at that point, he's already feeling bad and frustrated. I know I'm repeating myself. If I can recognize that he is out of sorts, now, once again, that's too late. I can often change that by giving him a healthy snack or having him take some time. Emergent, what unsolved problems are setting the stage for him to feel out of sorts? There's your focal point. And then, again, here's why, the next sentence, but I don't often recognize that until the damage has been done. Exactly. So instead of being in crisis management mode, let's be in crisis prevention mode. Let's solve problems so that damage doesn't get done. That's the focal point of doing collaborative problem solving. And then the last sentence, I would very much like to be able to teach him how to recognize when he's feeling low or off. Mm, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. 
and to teach him to either ask for help or help himself. I don't know about that. That's that's emergent. We want to be proactive. And here's all I'd want to know. One of the many things I'd want to know. Does he feel low or off independently of unsolved problems? Or is what you mean by low or off when there's already been an unsolved problem that has set in motion a challenging episode? The goal, uh, yeah, it's a fine goal to have him. If you should happen to find, if he should happen to find himself in a frustrated mode, to ask for help or help himself. But once again, not your focal point. Your focal point is what unsolved problems cause him to feel low or off. Let's get them solved so he doesn't feel low or off. And of course, lurking potentially. Here is Plan A, although our emailer, and thank you very much for your email, our emailer certainly sounds like she's trying to empathize with her son and trying to do the right thing, so excellent. But proactive is your new middle name, not emergent. Make sure we have our timing right. Next email. Looks like today's going to be an email day. Should I... uh, Give the phone number again in case anybody wants to call in. No worries if you don't want to call in, but it's 347-994-2981. Let's go to another email. Hi, my black and white inflexible explosive... Uh, Do you think she's talking about her son or daughter? No, I'll finish the sentence. Hi, my black and white inflexible... Her dog... No. Hi, my black and white inflexible explosive spouse does not see the benefits to collaborative problem solving with my inflexible 15-year-old son. I have explained how it has successfully turned around my communication with my son. My husband said he has tried, in parentheses, once, and it doesn't work. He says he does not believe in psychology. I am sure you have dealt with this many times. What do I say to convince him? I would have thought my own successful experience with the approach would have been enough. Apparently not. But my husband continues to believe that if we just operated with a firmer hand and made more consistent demands on my son, the outcome would be better. That is how he was raised with his dad. And my husband points out how well that worked for him. I know collaborative problem solving works because I've been using it for several years now with success, but my son could benefit from having both of his parents on board. Thank you for your email. Um, uh, I'm delighted that it's working for you, and yes, you're absolutely right. It's always better if your co-parent is co-parenting in sync with you, or, or at least the co-parents are co-parenting in sync with each other. Now, um, I'm going to the part where you're saying that your husband has said he's tried it once and it doesn't work. Oh, boy. Um, I don't know anybody that it works for the first time and not exactly sure what we mean by works, but there's lots of different definitions of work. Plan B is working if you have information in the empathy step that you didn't have before you started. It's working. Truth is, plan B is working if he's sitting there and talking to you. There's some kids, that's an improvement. It's working. 
working if you emerge from the empathy step with a much clearer understanding of what's getting in a kid's way about a particular unsolved problem. Working, working if a kid is able to hear your concerns. Working, working if a kid is able to take your concerns into account and participate in the process of generating solutions to a problem. It's working. Oh, a lot of people, their definition of work means the problem is solved. But there's a lot of workings on the way to that working. And seldom does one plan B get us to the holy grail of working, but now actually, you know, there is no holy grail of working. It's working in a lot of different ways that it that the relationship and the communication and the problem solving wasn't working without doing plan B. But if we're talking about the problem is finally solved, but that's what I'd want to ask your husband. Um, what, what's, what does he mean? I'd, I'd want to gather information from your husband about it not working. He says he does not believe in psychology. I think I'd want to know that about that more, too. What do you mean? Well, not, psychology is such a broad field, and I'm a psychologist, and I'm not sure what uh, your husband is referring to. Is he referring, I wonder, to the research that's gone on in psychology and neuropsychology? and psychiatry, telling us about all of the lagging skills that are setting in motion challenging behavior and challenging kids. That's psychology? Um, or the psychology that says communicating with a kid is and understanding his concern or perspective is um, far more productive than causing him to behave in ways that are completely maladaptive through generous use of plan A. Maybe it's that psychology. Or psychology that says that if you want to help somebody, you'll have to have a helping relationship with them to accomplish the mission. That's psychology too. So I don't, I'm not sure what he means. I sure would like to know. And I'd like to know what he means by that it doesn't work. Um, what do I say to convince him, asked the emailer. I would have thought that my own successful experience with the approach would have been enough. Well, no. Um, your husband has a certain belief system. And here's what it is. He, you, you told us in your email. He continues to believe that if we just operated with a firmer hand and made more consistent demands on my son, the outcome would be better. It's time... For your and he points out uh, that he was raised with his dad and how well that worked for him, um, inflexibly firmer hand. You, you know there are many fathers, and quite frankly many mothers, who I help understand that um, just because Plan A worked for them doesn't mean that it's going to work for their child. Um, and once again, it depends on what working means. Uh, you know, if, if working means the kid didn't blow up in response to Plan A, well, that's that's a, that's sort of a rather limited definition of working. Lots of things about Plan A, even when it doesn't set in motion a, an explosion, even when it doesn't cause challenging behavior, even when it even appears that the problem is solved. There's lots of things about Plan A that um, aren't working at all. 
because with plan A, the kid's concerns are not being heard, are not being validated. He doesn't think he has legitimate concerns because the adults are busy blowing his concerns off the table. Why would you want to do that? That's not working. Plan A doesn't give the kid a chance to tell us what's getting in his way. With Plan A, we have no idea what's getting in his way. That is a major downside. Because if you don't understand what a kid's concern or perspective is on a given unsolved problem, if you don't know what's getting in his way, then you won't be able to address it, and the problem will remain unsolved. A firmer hand doesn't accomplish any of those missions. A firmer hand doesn't give the kid a chance to hear your concerns. Uh, A firmer hand doesn't give the kid the chance to take your concerns into account and work with you toward a solution that addresses both concerns. A A firm hand doesn't give your kid... And I know the conventional wisdom is that a firm hand helps the kid get ready for the real world, but no. It's not a plan A world. Yes, I know. He might get pulled over for speeding someday, and if the police officer writes him a ticket, that's plan A. It's the example everybody always uses about that it's a plan A world, but it's a plan B world. The real world requires letting people know what your concerns are, figuring out what your concerns are first, articulating them, not getting all heated up in doing it, taking another person's concerns into account, and working collaboratively with people so that you can come up with solutions so as to address people's concerns, yours included. That comes up way more often in the real world than Plan A does, and a firmer hand doesn't teach any of that. I hope I'm giving you some good information to pass along to your husband. I guess the main thing here is two main things. Apparently, your husband wasn't lacking those skills that your son is lacking. Apparently, your husband was a plan A responder. Good for him. Uh, In some respects, he was lucky because if all he was getting was plan A and he was a plan A responder, then sounds pretty lucky. But if he, like your son, had been a plan A non-responder, I don't think he'd be viewing the way his father raised him with such fond memories. The best, the most persuasive information you can provide your husband, if you can get him to listen, is that your son is lacking crucial cognitive skills, and that's why the way his father raised him doesn't seem to be working for your son. Now, now on that point, you've got some some good um, supportive data. Uh, the supportive data is things are not going well. Things are not going well. And so, um, apparently, the way your husband was raised isn't, quote-unquote, working. And, of course, proponents of Plan A because they think that Plan A works, largely encourage adults to stick with Plan A, even though there's all kind of evidence indicating that Plan A isn't working at all. I don't know. Would you keep taking an antibiotic if it wasn't working? Would you move on to something else if you had a horrible headache and Tylenol wasn't getting the job done? Would you 
live in a, if you didn't have to, would you live in a town that wasn't working for you? If you didn't have to, would you stay in a job that wasn't working for you? Would you eat food that isn't working for you? Would you wear clothes that weren't working for you? I'll stop, don't worry. Why would you stick with plan A when it's so clear that plan A isn't getting the job done? You wouldn't. I'm wondering if any of that reasoning would be helpful to your husband. I find that the most potent information is lagging skills. Another potent piece of information is that your son isn't challenging every second of every waking hour. He's challenging sometimes. When is he challenging? Uh, When the clash of those two forces occurs. Lagging skills demands for those skills. I wonder if any of that would be persuasive with your husband. Give it a whirl. Call in. Let me know how it goes. Emailer writes, Having survived a similar situation, it's important to accept that you may have different parenting styles. It does bruise a relationship, but you keep on repeating your mantra that there's a better way to talk to, reach your child, and work together toward a mutually satisfactory solution to a problem. Stick with it. TPS takes time. And our emailer raises an important point, and that is, you know, you've got a few different options when you have a spouse who's not on board with collaborative problem solving. And we devoted an entire uh, radio program to this. It was either the last um, parents panel or the one before that. So it was either the one at the beginning of this month, which is January, or the one in December. And I think it was the one in January, if I'm not mistaken. Um, We talked about how to help get spouses on board. But here's the worst-case scenario. You can't. Your spouse just doesn't come on board. First of all, you want to do your best to make sure that you give your spouse the best shot possible. But now you're faced with an interesting dilemma. You can... Parent the way your spouse is parenting, despite all evidence that the way your spouse is parenting is making things worse, for the sake of consistency. You know, in the conventional way of thinking, the number one priority is consistency. So even if a parent is goes, this is the conventional wisdom, not not me. Even if another, even if your co-parent is parenting in ways that are completely counterproductive, you should be supportive and not not be inconsistent. The premise there is that it's inconsistent parenting that gives rise to challenging behavior. Um, My observation is that most co-parents are inconsistent with each other and that there's nothing like a challenging kid get people to blame that on inconsistent parenting. Most co-parents are inconsistent. I don't think that's why kids are challenging. I think parents of well-behaved kids are inconsistent with each other and I think parents of Challenging kids are inconsistent with each other, but that doesn't mean that correlation equals causation and that inconsistent parenting is what gives rise to challenging behavior. It's not ideal, but it's also not the cause. Worst case scenario, your husband continues to parent the way he's parenting and you do plan B. And as our emailer suggested, you keep talking about it, you stick with it, Your husband may not be a 
seismic shift to collaborative problem-solving guy. This may not happen in one fell swoop. Often people who are devotees of collaborative problem-solving wish that uh, the change in the person who they're hoping will shift over to collaborative problem-solving and wear those lenses and do plan B will occur seismically. One fell swoop, and usually it takes more time than that. My recommendation to our emailer, and once again, thank you very much for your email, is that uh, you try to focus on lagging skills, see how persuasive that is, and see if any of the other stuff I said is helpful along the way. And I wish you the best of luck with that. That's a hard situation. Inconsistent parenting is especially troublesome when there's a challenging child in the household because parents start blaming each other. Don't blame each other. Just try to work together. And on that note, um, I'm sorry to report that time has flown by yet again, at least for me, and it's time to stop for today. Uh, thanks for joining in, either live or to in the listening library. And um, I hope you'll join in next week. Ask your questions, comment, get the support you need. That's why we do this every week. Have a great week. Good luck with Plan B during the week. Let us know how it goes. Take care. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.